worst. He wants to go in here 13 nothing. Second and five. Garoppolo fires over the middle. Caught. Samuel. The rookie is inside the 10 to the end zone. Touchdown 49ers. All right, man. What a hell of a game that was back in week 12. Uh, Debo Samuel touchdown to put the Niners up going into halftime. Uh, At that point, I believe it was 20 to zero. That was that video. Excuse me. is courtesy of the NFL and NBC Sports. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard podcast. My name is Zach Hernandez. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Perry. Anthony, how you doing tonight? What's going on, guys? What's going on, Faithful? It is your boy, Perry, back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. You know, I'm really excited about this game, Zach. I can't wait to get, break it down and really, you know, get to the main points of this because it's a huge game. And I mean, not just for the sake of it being an NFC Championship game, but for the fact that it's the first time in a long time that we've seen this Niners and Packers rivalry really kind of heat up like it did in the mid-late 90s and then I think in the early 2000s. And obviously with uh, Jim Harbaugh and Colin Kaepernick, you know, when Rodgers was in his prime, they had a couple good uh, back-and-forth games. So, you know, this is it. Hopefully this is a renewal renewal to the rivalry. And it's really exciting, guys. But uh as always, follow me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the 49ers have gotten the better side of things, better outcome. The last couple times these two teams met in the postseason, like you said, uh, with Colin Kaepernick kind of running all over them. One of them, the other time, going up to the Frozen Tundra and beating Green Bay um, in their turf. So the 49ers... Obviously, Sunday will host the Green Bay Packers in what will be the biggest game for the 49ers to date at Levi Stadium. Um, and, man, there's a lot to unpack here, just like Anthony said. Uh, my first question for you, Anthony. Coach Shanahan earlier this week said that that win in Week 12, the 38-7 49ers win, virtually means nothing going into Sunday. Do you agree with that, or do you think that there are some things that the team can take out of that and apply moving forward? I think them losing that game 37 to 8 uh, honestly I think it means absolutely everything and it's just like you look at the previous games the Packers played after the Niners loss let me find it so let's see where they go week 10 week 12 so they lost 37 to 8 and then this is their schedule afterwards it's going to be a little long read but I really want you to understand they beat the New York Giants 31 to 13 they beat the Redskins 20 to 15. They beat the Bears 21 to 13. They beat the Vikings 23 to 10. And finally they beat the Lions 23 to 20. Out of all of those teams they played after they lost to the Niners, no real competition. I'm sorry, but the Bears have okay defense, but the offense really slowed them down. The Lions were a mess. The Vikings were incredibly inconsistent. The Giants suck. The Redskins suck. And overall, it's just it, it sucks. They did not play good teams. The Vikings were incredibly overrated. The Bears underachieved. The Lions are bad. All those teams are bad. So they lose 37-8 to the Packers seven weeks ago or whatever it was. That game should mean everything to the Packers, dude. They lost bad. They lost to the one real team they played 
in that in that entire stretch of football over 10 weeks, the Niners are the only legit team that they played. And yet there are everyone makes a big deal about them winning seven games in a row or whatever it is. And yet they have played competition that is incredibly overachieving and underachieving. Just like them beating Seattle. That was a total flute game. They they let the Seahawks come back into that game. And that's been the story for the Packers all season. No surprise. So they they should be taking every single thing away from that 37 to 8 loss because there's no way they should have confidence knowing that they have really been beating on shitty teams and the fact that some of those quote shitty teams that they've beat have been really close games. So the Packers need to be ready, dude, because the competition at this point in the game, at this point in the season, it's legit and I don't think the Packers are ready at all. Yeah, you know that that's a great point because I feel like going into the postseason and uh, kind of the seeding was solidified, all I was hearing on these morning talk shows was that Green Bay is the phoniest 13-3 and team in NFL history, at least in, in recent memory, and uh, they'd be exposed soon. And then, you know, they beat Seattle last week, like you said, which was, it could have gone either way, especially down towards the end there. Um, they ended up making the plays necessary to, to win, to get the job done. But now all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't know. You know, the Niners have to beat Green Bay. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Keep that same energy. A couple couple weeks ago you were just saying how this team was a phony team. They lucked into 13-3. and three. They had a relatively easy back end of the schedule, which you just cited right now. So it's just like, man, it's like, you know, they get, they, you can't have it both ways. It's one way or the other. Uh, to go back to my initial question can the 49ers or the Packers take anything away from this game? If I'm the Packers, I throw this tape away. I, I don't want to see it. There's nothing positive you can take away from it. If anything, it probably hurts them, uh, their psyche, their mentality going into it. As far as the 49ers, there's there's pieces you could take away. I wouldn't want to take everything um, because then you get overconfident. Then you don't have to feel like you don't have to prepare as much. But there are things that you could take away from that, such as how you match up against these guys. Uh, certain looks that you can give them. I know Shanahan is a, a mastermind with this. You you know, I can almost guarantee you he's not going to run the same plays out of the same looks this week that he did in week 12. So, that you know, there are things that they can take away from this, but it's not going to be the end-all be-all as far as how this game's going to be just because they won that game by such a large margin. Um, and, you know, also in that game, Anthony, the 49ers field day had, or excuse me, the 49ers defensive line had a field day. I think they had something like five or six sacks. Um, now they're they're healthier, not not necessarily just the defensive line, although they do get D Ford back, but they also get Quan Alexander back. Um, do you see uh, another repeat of that happening Sunday? Yeah, I really do. And I was listening to a podcast earlier, and they were talking about how David Bakhtiari is one of the best tackles in the league. I agree, he's a solid tackle, but the last time they played, Nick Bosa took his lunch money from him, and I don't think David Bakhtiari could even get uh, the free and reduced lunch, dude. That's how bad Nick Bosa was dominating him in the game. But uh, overall, in that game, uh, 10 quarterback hits, 5 sacks, including one from Warner, so the defensive line had 4 sacks. Yeah, I think it's going to be a dominating game for the D-line. Look, they're getting Brian Bulaga back. Uh, 
Bakhtiari is playing well. Eldon Jenkins, their left guard, has been good. You know, their weakness really is at center. Corey Lindsley is okay, but he's not consistent. So it's going to be a big game for DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead up the middle or Solomon Thomas up the middle. But yeah, Zach, to the point of the question, I do think so. Look, they have D Ford back. They have Quan Alexander back. Tarts back. You know, this team is finally fully healthy, minus all the guys on the IR. And you saw what happened when D Ford came back. Six sacks. Six. That is truly remarkable. And if the Niners can't come away with at least four sacks after this game, even if even if they don't get four sacks and win, dude, I'm still gonna be pissed because let's face it, the Niners have struggled against quarterbacks who are genuinely mobile and who can kind of scramble make plays with their feet break the pocket but the pocket passers they can pressure them and they can dominate them with ease they didn't sack breeze much but they sure as hell pressured breeze quite a bit um kyle allen you know i know he sucked but it's another example mason rudolph andy dalton you, you know the list goes on but my point being is if the Niners can get six sacks on Aaron Rodgers or five sacks on Aaron Rodgers last time, if they can get six sacks on Minnesota last week, they sure as hell can at least get four sacks this coming game, dude. I, I expect an entirely dominant game from the line, as, especially with D Ford back. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, you were talking about Drew Brees in that game. And, you know, D Ford, that was pretty much the last that we saw of him for a couple of weeks. Um, he, he played a couple of snaps in the beginning of that New Orleans game, and then he kind of tweaked his hamstring, I believe, and he was out. And then they kind of kept him out to get right for the postseason, and that's now. I mean, that, that, that started last week. So, like you just said, you saw how how impactful his return was to this defense, allowing guys like Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, etc. to get open and get home on the quarterback. So I, I definitely think that um, they will have another big game this Sunday, especially against a guy who's not as mobile in Aaron Rodgers. Um, he, he can make some plays with his leg and he can extend plays definitely, but he's not going to be uh, Russell Wilson. He's not going to be, uh, you know, a May Holmes where he's going to go out there and, you know, shred you down the field for 80 yards. That's not his style at all. So on the ground, mind you. So I definitely think that the 49ers are in a prime position to get um, a good number of sacks. I think four is a good number, like like you set right there. Um, I would not be surprised to see them get that. And, you know, it's it, it's funny because you think of that as the entire game. But, I mean, we'll, we'll be at the game. Anthony and I will both be at the game, courtesy of the team. We'll get into that a little later. But if you would have told me in the first half, hey, the, the Niners had four sacks in the first half, I'd probably be like, yep, yeah, that sounds about right. But also, if they had four sacks in the entire game, that wouldn't be that wouldn't surprise me either because it really just depends on how how high they want to turn that up, and if they want to only blitz four or they want to actually bring the house. It, it just it depends. But I definitely think that's going to be a tough day for Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, getting hit all day and getting sacked as well. Um, now, Anthony, let's move into the uh, Green Bay offense. They have a, a pretty lethal three-headed monster that com- is composed of Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and Aaron Jones. How do the 49ers keep them all in check? So, again, I'm going to be referencing a lot of other podcasts today or tonight, but I'm really, you know, I really want to get my point across. Is you hear all these things about, and I heard these things too, is about how the Niners can get away with doubling Devontae Adams, stacking a box on Aaron Jones, this and that. 
I think what they need to do is they need to play the same game that they did against the Packers and pretty much just keep the defense the same that they've been doing this entire stretch, even obviously when D4 came back. Look, it's a lot of pressure to go up against Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, and Aaron Rodgers, but nothing has changed other than the fact that the Niners are getting healthy. The the team that they played in Week 12 against the Packers, they were missing their right tackle, and I think that was the only major injury that they had. So what were the Packers, you know, really missing outside of a average okay tackle? Not much. And the Niners' defensive plan that game, you know, let Aaron Rodgers throw underneath, let the pass rush hit home, and just let the corners play some damn solid football. And that's what they did. And I think that should be the mindset going forward. Now, you hear these things too, like I heard also. Uh, using Richard Sherman to shadow Devontae Adams. Sherman kind of blew up and impressed, not blew up, but he really broke down the whole point of, you know, like shadowing and whatnot in a conference recently. And he's just saying, look, I'm just going to play my side of the field. It doesn't matter who I match up against, whoever I match up against, I'm going to play in the exact same way. And I think that's what the Niners defense is going to do. Devontae Adams is having a solid stretch of football where he's, you know, he's been the top 10 wide receiver. He's really good. But the Niners shut that down last time, and I think they can shut it down this time. You know, you look at Minnesota's run game last week, solid, extremely solid. Delvin Cook, one of the best running backs in the league, 18 yards on nine carries. Do I think the Niners going to hold Aaron Jones to that type of, I guess, box score, if you will? Yeah, I think so. And look, Aaron Rodgers is clearly regressing. He still has the arm talent. He still has the ability. But this isn't 2011 Aaron Rodgers. This isn't 2013 Aaron Rodgers, 2014. This is 2019 Aaron Rodgers with a terrible supporting cast around him outside of Adams and Jones. He's. It's going to be one of those type of games where he needs to be truly magical. And just like the last time he played or they played, he's not gonna. He's not gonna be that man. And I know it seems like I'm really overlooking Aaron Rodgers, but I mean. Coming off of a 37-8 win last time and then dominating the Vikings 27-10, the Niners, again, this is their game for the taking. Nothing about how they play the Packers should change at all. And just, you know, play play the same, let the pass rush hit home, and that will pretty much call a ball game in my opinion. Yeah, you, you, you alluded to there, um, stacking the box to stop Aaron Jones and, you know, you can double Devontae Adams. I think that's that's a pretty good strategy there because outside of Devontae Adams, who do the Packers really have that's proven? You could argue Jimmy Graham. He kind of came on last week. Um, I think he had like three catches for 50 yards roughly. Don't don't quote me on that, but um, he he still has you know he he still has some potential to kind of hurt you over the middle, but he's not going to be the uh, Jimmy Graham of the New Orleans Saints days. So that's a pretty good strategy there. And with Quan Alexander back and, you know, the 49ers side, Earl Mitchell ahead of last game's uh, last week's game, the run defense was back to their dominant, you know, performances of the, the first half of the season before the defense was really decimated by injuries. And Dalvin Cook, you could argue, was the best running back they faced all year. And, man, they held him to nothing. The guy was, you know... I think he averaged like two yards a carry or something like that. He was just, he was shut out all day. I mean, I think there was like a fourth and one and a third and one or something like that. They, they, he couldn't even get that. So I think Aaron Jones is going to have a tough game. And I think that's going to uh, affect Devontae Adams. 
and not allow him to kind of break one open. Now, don't get me wrong. Devontae Adams, if he has the ball in his hands in space, he's lethal. Um, I saw him take a, a, you know, a, a route to the house last week against the Seahawks on a simple cut. A simple cut, turned it upfield, and man, he was gone. He is a great wide receiver. Uh, you could argue one of the best that Aaron Rodgers has had in his time in Green Bay. So I just think that the 49ers really, really need to focus on stopping the running game. And that'll kind of trickle down into stopping the rest of the offense. But it also coincides with getting home on Aaron Rodgers. Um, giving him two seconds max to get that ball out. And that internal clock needs to be going because if he has all day to sit back there and, you know, dictate plays and call audibles and, you know, it turns into backyard football, Aaron Rodgers has proven time and time again, he'll burn you on those type of plays. He'll, he'll get the job done. He's a good enough quarterback, a savvy enough quarterback, um, to know what to do to extend it and then to make the play. So the 49ers, I cannot stress enough how important it is that they get home on their blitzes um, and prevent Aaron Rodgers from extending plays and beating them, you know, on their second win and and stuff like that. Um, Speaking of Aaron Jones, the guy is like a touchdown machine this year. I believe he led the NFL in rushing touchdowns with 16 and he added another three, I believe, um, through the air. Now, does he have that type of, of, of touchdown performance on the ground this week again, Anthony? Nah, nah, I, I'm going to keep it simple, dude. No. This defense is even more hungry than last time. Everyone is healthy, and everyone's ready to ball out, dude. I, I firmly believe that whatever the Packers are going to put in front of the Niners defense, dude, I think Robert Sala and those guys are absolutely going to shut it down 100%. Okay, all right. I like that. Um, I don't think he's going to go off and have, you know, 10, 15, or excuse me, um, two to three touchdowns but I would not be surprised if he has like 30 to 40 yards and one touchdown for maybe a goal line scenario um but as far as breaking one off you know triple digits uh rushing yards and a touchdown or two I don't see that happening uh mainly because I just don't think that um the the Packers are going to be in position to be running as much for that to happen but that's just my take on it um I I think that it's going to be it's going to be a tough day for them, hopefully, if everything goes our way. But the way this defense performed last week, man, they gave us no indication of otherwise. So I, I, I that's just how I see things. Um, now, now moving on to the defense, or excuse me, um, if the pass rush, if the 49ers defense pass rush can't get home on Aaron Rodgers effectively, Anthony, how does the secondary then keep him in check? If the pass rush can't get home, which, you know, I I firmly don't believe that'll happen. I think they'll hit home. But if they don't, I th- still think the corners and the linebackers won't necessarily be tasked with the big challenge. Again, it's it's all Devontae Adams. It's the Devontae Adams show. And if you give Aaron Rodgers time in the pocket, I think Adams has the chance, whether it's on Sherman or Mosley or the back safeties, to make a play. But as for the other wide receivers, I mean, I think the corners and those guys should have – pretty simple time of handling them well uh alan lazard has been coming along nicely but he had an ankle injury you know he's gonna play but it seems like that might be a little nagging but even then alan lazard you know nothing too special uh marquez valdez scantling very inconsistent he's a deep threat he's got some major damn speed he can fly but 
drops have plagued him, incorrect routes, miscommunication with Rodgers have has really plagued Valquez, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Geronimo Allison, same thing, lots of drops, lots of miscommunication. He he tends to fumble too. And, and and obviously Devontae Adams, but I mean that's really it. You know, I think the corners can cover well. Devontae Adams is going to be a problem. We all know that. But the other guys, it you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Aaron Rodgers really force feeds Devontae Adams into 14, 15, 16 targets, just like he did the last game they played. He had a hell of a ton of targets. And, you know, Jimmy Graham is in his limelight of his career. He is nowhere near the player he used to be, even before Seattle in New Orleans. And he was good in Seattle, but not great. And, you know, I would say Jimmy Graham is honestly an afterthought. Backup tight end Mercedes Lewis, same thing, not much. You know, Quan Alexander, Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, they can all fly. Jimmy Ward, Tart, they can all cover tight ends, and they can all do it well. Same with K1. And the tight ends shouldn't be an issue in this game at all. And as for the backs out of the backfield, you know, Aaron Jones can make a play. Jamal Williams can make a play. It's a pretty nice one-two running backfield. But the Niners have proven before that they can take out those running backs. And I won't be surprised if they do it again. <laughs> but uh, as for the, I'm sorry, as for the whole corner talk, though, you know, if the pass rush can't hit home, those guys can cover. The wide receivers outside of Adams aren't intimidating, and even then, I think Salah should have a nice day being able to call the right plays and being able to exploit LeFleur's offense, because the whole story this offseason, or <laughs> this whole season has been how Packers, oh gosh darn it, Aaron Rodgers and Matt LeFleur haven't necessarily been on the same page all the time, and we've seen what happens like it did in the past with Mike McCarthy, it can go stale real quick. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens at some point or if it's one of those games where it seems like Aaron Rodgers is honestly calling his own plays because, you know, the Packers have been a terrible second-half team. Good first-half team, terrible second-half team. And that's when, if, if they're behind in the second half, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to call his game, and then I think that's when it's going to get really deadly for the Niners. But, you know, that's that's all hypothetical. Otherwise... No matter who the wide receiver is, no matter if it's Sherman, no matter if it's Mosley, going up against Devontae Adams, Scantling, Lazard, they're fine, dude. <laughs> I'm going to say that with 100% confidence, Zach. I think they're fine, and I think they're going to kick some damn ass. All right. I love it, dude. I love it. Um, you know, it's funny you said that about Drake Greenlaw and the linebackers matching up with Mercedes Lewis and Jimmy Graham in coverage, because even without Quan Alexander, uh, the 49ers had two really, really good coverage linebackers Dre Greenlaw only allowed a pass rating of 83.6 out of um in the NFL and that was 12th as far as all linebackers go according to pro football focus and you know with Quan Alexander back into the mix now the 49ers have two linebackers with a top 15 coverage grade um and that would be Quan with an 81.3 and a Fred Fred Warner with 76.5 so they have three really really good coverage linebackers and I've been hearing all week. Uh, I know you said in your your answer, you know, a couple week, a couple answers. Uh, excuse me, answers ago, we're going to be referencing a lot of podcasts. I heard uh, Chris Sims talk about how you know across the middle is where to attack this 49ers defense. Uh, the the data doesn't really support that. The 49ers have really really good linebackers, really quick, really hard hitting linebackers that aren't going to be shy to come up and hit you. They're not going to, you know, struggle covering against you. They're not going to be have struggle running with quick running backs or tight ends, whatever you want to match them up on. So, you know, I say good luck to whatever opposing offense wants to wants to try them there because the 49ers have proven time and time again, when healthy, they can run with anybody. 
There's nobody that they are afraid of or threatened by. Um, so it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a hell of a matchup. That's for sure. But, you know, I don't think as 49er fans, we'd want it any other way for, you know, NFL NFC championship Sunday. Um, now, Anthony, let's move on to the Green Bay Packers defense and how they match up against the 49ers offense. Um, you know, we talked about the three headed monster on offense with Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams. Well, you know, they, they host a, a pretty formidable duo with the Smith brothers. Um, how does Joe Staley and Big Mike and the rest of the offensive line match up against them and make sure that they don't make Jimmy Garoppolo's day hell? So, <laughs> I th- you know, this sounds like rinse and repeat, but man, what the Niners did last time against the Packers is exactly what I think they should do going up against the Packers once again. I mean, you saw a ton of play action. So, okay, so get this. I was listening to a podcast. It was uh, it was Adam Lefko's podcast, and he was talking with Warren Sharp, and they were doing uh, gambling previews and just you know just an overall preview of the game. <laughs> get get this stat, dude. I thought this was crazy. The Packers defending play action. So when they defend play action versus when they defend a quarter quarterback dropping back or taking a snap under shotgun formation, when the Packers are defending play action in the second half, they are the absolute worst team in the NFL at defending play action. It is, you know, I don't know where they come up with these stats, but it, it's interesting. It's really interesting. The Packers, the Packers in the first half, they defend play action pretty well. They were ranked like 15th in the NFL defending play action in the first half. But the second half, the worst, the absolute worst in the NFL. They said the NFL average when defending play action in the second half was like 9.6 yards per attempt in the air. The Packers giving up or excuse me, in the second half on play action, the Packers allow 15 yards per attempt in the air off of play action. So the way the Niners beat the Packers last time, play action. Absolutely, entirely play action. Look, Blake Martinez and those linebackers, they're, they're good. They're good, but they're not great. Blake Martinez is a good tackler, but he's terrible in coverage. He's absolutely garbage in coverage. I'm sorry. And the thing is, is to get those guys to bite, play action. That's what it took to beat the Packers last time. You saw the big play to George Kittle. I believe that was play action. I think the same big play to Debo Samuel was play action. You know, just everything up the middle. Absolutely everything up the middle of the field. What Kyle Shanahan dominates is what the Packers are worse at. And that's another stat too that they were talking about is when it comes to defending plays in the middle and between the numbers on the field, the Packers are the worst. They give up the most yards against teams that, you know, look for shot plays or look for big plays up the middle. The same thing happened in the Seahawks game, too. The only difference is that the Seahawks didn't do it that often. So when you attack the middle of the field where guys like uh, Blake Martinez are, la- are, you know, kind of stalking, Darnell Savage, you know, safeties in the box, coming down, playing buzz, that's where the Niners can attack the Packers, and that's where they're going to really dominate this game. And, you know, everything plays into the Niners' favor. It all plays into their hand. The defense is overrated by the Packers. They don't play play action well. They don't defend the run that well. And this is, you know, Kyle Shanahan should be licking his chops, dude, because he has every, every opportunity to expose this Packers' overrated offense, if you will, or defense, I'm sorry. But um, I- I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Real quick. Zadarius and Preston Smith, dude, they're no joke. Kenny Clark, it's a good defensive line, 
but to negate them, play action, get those guys to bite, get them to just, you know, kind of knock them off their, uh, their rush route, if you will, you know, anything to disrupt them, maybe chip them, get some quick passes off, you know, cause they'll hit home. Joe Staley has been solid. Mike McGlinchey is still working on his, uh, you know, his technique and pass protection, but he's getting a lot better. And, you know, if Jimmy Garoppolo displays that quick release that we've seen all season, it's good. I, I really believe that the pass rush from the Packers won't be that much at all. Okay, I like it. Um, and, you know, you kind of alluded to their quick passes, uh, play action specifically. And, yeah, you're definitely right. The two touchdowns uh, to Debo and to George Kittle, the last time these two teams met, were off play action, uh, respectively 60 and 40 yards roughly each. So the 49ers can find success with play action. Uh, in order to negate the Smith brothers, I think they definitely can also try to incorporate some some screen passes, um, and you know not only that, but bringing Juice in and bringing George Kittle into the backfield and help pick up any extra pressure. Uh, we've seen George come into the backfield and help pick up uh, added extra pressure, or just to to kind of keep things safe for Jimmy when he needs extra time. For example, the two third and sixteens. Uh, against the Rams, I don't know if he was in there for both, but I know for certain uh, the the big one to uh, Emmanuel Sanders. I'm I'm pretty sure he was in the backfield to help uh, block for Jimmy. So th- there are ways to negate them. Um, I think it definitely starts up front in the trenches, though, and it just it just starts with Big Joe and Big Mike winning their reps. And if they do that and they give Jimmy just a you know a little bit of time to get that ball out, I think he's gonna find some success. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised um, to see Jimmy be clean for the game because the 49ers offensive line, although they're missing their center, Weston Richburg, they're playing really well as a unit right now. Everything's gelling. Everything's meshing. They're, they're, they're solid. And they held up really, really well against a very formidable defensive front against the Vikings last week. Um, and Everson Griffin, Daniel Hunter, guys like that, Linville Joseph, um, they, they held their own. So the 49ers, I think they definitely will have their hands full, but I don't think it's anything that they can't cover. I don't think it's anything that is going to keep them up at night with all due respect to the Packers. Um, speaking of Jimmy Anthony, uh, does he need to outperform Aaron Rodgers in order for the 49ers to win this game? Not, no, not at all. But I think it's the other way around to win this game. Aaron Rodgers is going to need to outperform Jimmy Garoppolo. And I mean, this this has all the makings of the Niners just running the ball. You know, Brian Baldinger called it a while ago that the Niners offense is like the Anaconda offense, if you will, because they squeeze the life out of defenses. They squeeze the life out of teams. And I can see the Niners doing that entirely. But everything about this game for the Packers has been just screaming. Aaron Rodgers is going to need to turn back the clock. Aaron Rodgers is going to need to have that vintage Aaron Rodgers game. And he's had a couple of good games this season, but I mean, he's exposed those teams really well. And those teams he played were crappy teams. Let's face it, I think he played the Raiders this season, awful. The Panthers, the Giants, terrible. So, you know, Rodgers is going to need to turn back the clock. And we've seen all the stats. Aaron Rodgers in his career against number one pass defenses, one in three, averages is like 220 yards per game, one touchdown, four picks, you know. It, it, it's all there for where Aaron Rodgers needs to have that kind of game. Can he do it? No. As for Jimmy Garoppolo, I think I don't think he necessarily needs to outplay Rodgers. I just think he needs to game manage well. And look, 
everyone wants the big Jimmy Garoppolo game, the 300 yards, the four touchdowns, the flashy box score. That's fine. I get it. We want to see that. He's the guy. But if he's going to you know, throw 14 of 20, 200 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, or one touchdown, no pick, and it's a win, that's all I care about. Ball security, don't throw an interception, don't fumble, You know, keep the offense in your hands, keep the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands, and just call game from there, dude. So I don't think he needs to necessarily outplay him, but I do think that Jimmy Garoppolo needs to have a really solid, at the least, at the most minimum, a solid game-managing game to really just keep this game out of hand from the Packers and keep it in hand for the Niners. That's interesting. I like the way you worded that, um, that in fact it needs to be the other way around. Aaron Rodgers needs to outperform the, uh, excuse me, outperform Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I, I like that. Um, I don't think, yeah, I definitely agree with you on the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo does need to outperform Aaron Rodgers. It always cracks me up when I'm, you know, watching ESPN or NFL Network, whatever it may be, and they hype up these games as if it's just literally Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Garoppolo running out onto the field and they're playing each other the whole game. It's like, no, there are, there, you know, there, there are other teams there. There's, you know, 10 other guys on each side. It's not just them too. They will, they will literally never be on the field at the same time. Um, so I think Jimmy Garoppolo, I think the 49ers can still win if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't play as well as Aaron Rodgers. I don't think that that's a stretch by any means. Um, you know, looking back at the, the stats, the last matchup between these two, Jimmy Garoppolo was 14 for 20, 253 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He did have three sacks. Um, and I found this interesting. He had a QBR of 18. I don't understand how that happens. But, if you know, the, the one word I would s- summarize his whole performance that day, efficient. He was extremely efficient, and he was still able to push the ball downfield when needed. When the the Packers got their one touchdown, what did the 49ers do? They drove down the field and got another touchdown right before half. So I think he's he's he the the moment's not too big for him, whatever it may be. You know, call it what you want. Or excuse me, before I, before I get ahead of myself, also Aaron Rodgers stats in that game: twenty for thirty three, one hundred and four yards, which I believe is his career low. Um, one touchdown, and he was sacked five times, and he had a QBR of eight eight point five. So. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, call it what you want. You may say he wasn't on the field. He wasn't playing when he when he has those two rings. He was still a part of that culture. He was still witnessing firsthand what it takes to become a winner, to become a championship, excuse me, a champion from one of the best to ever do it, Tom Brady. So Jimmy Garoppolo knows and he can... He he can you know he has all the experience he's seen it firsthand he just needs to put it together and physically go out there and do it and I wouldn't be surprised to see him outduel Aaron Rodgers um, strictly due to the fact that when you look at opposing defenses the Packers defense is nowhere near the level that the 49ers defense is so just you know by that by that metric alone I wouldn't be surprised to see Jimmy Garoppolo outduel him. But I don't think he needs to. I think that's the big caveat here. He does not need to for the 49ers to win. Just like you said, Anthony, Aaron Rodgers needs to play extremely well for the Packers to win. I don't see a game uh, scenario here where the Packers win and Aaron Rodgers has a performance like he did the last time these two teams met. Um, Anthony, last week against the Vikings, we saw Tevin Coleman 
get the bulk share of the carries. Um, I think he topped 100 yards. He had a touchdown on the ground. And uh, you could argue that was attributed to um, Raheem Mostert having that, that cramp early on. But what do you think happens this week? Do you think Mostert gets back under center for the majority of the day? Or do you think we see Tevin again? Um, I know it likely won't be Brita because he had that fumble. I You know... I, I think the Niners like using Raheem Mostert if they're trying to push the pace of the offense. And I mean, like, if they're trying to score quick, if they're trying to look for a big play, if they're trying to really just get those chunk run plays out of the way and really just pressure the defense quick. And you look at, obviously, Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert are fast. They can fly. But Tevin Coleman doesn't have that, that like, quick snap ability to just go like Raheem Mostert does. So I, I think that that Raheem Mostert will get his playing time. I think he'll get his fair share if the game is close. So going into half, say it's like 14 to 10 or 17 to 14 or whatever, I think we'll see Raheem Mostert in more in the second half just so he can push the play, push the pace of the game and really get that offense moving. As for Tevin Coleman though, you know, he doesn't get that quick takeoff like Mostert does, but I do think Coleman is harder to tackle than Mostert. Not not just in terms of speed and quickness, but I think Coleman is just a bigger bully than Mostert. Coleman can run dudes over. Coleman can stiff arm. He he can cut just like Mostert, but I think when it comes to taking on tacklers, I think Coleman will fight for extra yardage more so than Mostert. So, you know, they play hand-in-hand hand with each other. I think we'll see a lot of Coleman in the first half, you know, just to get a gauge on the Packers' defense, see how things work out. Because Coleman is sure-handed. He can run. You know, last week was the first time in, God, four or five weeks since the Carolina game where I think he had, like, like that signature game. And I think he can do it again. But depending on how the game plays out, I think we'll see Mostert. I think they'll both be blended well. But I'm, I'm going to stick with more Coleman in the first half, more Mostert in the second half. If the Niners are just blowing the game out early, I think if it's out of hand pretty fast, I think we'll see a lot of Coleman on the day. I think we'll see another 20-carry day where you just rely on Coleman to you know, kill the clock, eat up yardage, you know, get that game down quickly, and just you know, save, save Mostert, dude. Keep him healthy. I don't want to mess with any calf cramps. Let him rest. Give, give him some, you know, give him some time to run here and there, you know, just to keep him fresh. But overall, though, if the Niners are blowing him out, man, feed Tevin Coleman. <laughs> Absolutely feed Tevin Coleman. Okay, I like it. Um, you, you mentioned there that the difference between the two backs, and I agree with you 100%, uh, it seems like Mostert's more of the, I don't want to call him finesse because that kind of makes it that kind of gives the implication that he's not a physical back because he is but i think uh coleman is more of a bruiser more of a downhill running style he still has the speed but i don't think he has the agility and that quickness to hit that that burst when needed um i've seen mostert get quick man he had a run i i want to say against the ravens where man he took off he just bursted out of that hole and, and took it to the house. Um, I don't think Coleman has that, that second gear, so to speak, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Coleman get a good, good portion of the carries again. I think he proved to Kyle, uh, he, he, he still has the hot hand. I think he proved to Kyle he's reliable in the sense that he's not going to cough up the ball. Um, as good as Matt Breida is and can be, he has that knack for fumbling, and it drives you crazy. 
you gotta, you know, at least be appreciative that last week it wasn't um, a game-changing fumble. It wasn't uh, when it was a close game and it could have altered, you know, the outcome. However, that's not always going to be the case. There could be times where it is a close game, you know, late into the fourth, you're trying to run the clock out and a fumble could prove could prove deadly. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the, the main carries split between Coleman and uh, Mostert with Brita getting, you know, a couple here and there until he gets out of the doghouse. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting, but I definitely think it's going to be split probably 50-50 unless one, one's not really getting the job done. Um, and then, then I, I could see Kyle Shanahan going towards one over the other. Um, now, Anthony, which receiver needs to have the biggest day for the 49ers in order for them to have success? Which receiver needs to have the biggest day for the Niners? Shoot, dude. I think I think Emmanuel Sanders, and look, he, he's far past his prime. He really is. I, I honestly think Emmanuel Sanders in his Denver days was better than his Steelers days just because of Peyton Manning and whatnot. And obviously the Achilles injury he was coming off of last season really slowed him down quite a bit, but he's still solid. But overall, I think Emmanuel Sanders needs to set the tone for the passing offense. Look, he's been in this situation before. He's played in a Super Bowl. He's played in a handful of playoff games. He needs to be that veteran exceptional presence that knows how to establish his routes, that knows how to beat the corners in front of him, whether it's Kevin King or Jair Alexander or Trayman Williams on him. Emmanuel Sanders needs to establish himself, and he needs to get that kind of rhythm going with Garoppolo. And look, I'm not knocking Debo, I'm not knocking Kittle, but those guys haven't been here. And I, it's not that I don't believe in them, but... You know, sometimes the playoff stage can be too big for a guy, or sometimes the playoff stage can really knock you off right away. I mean, look look at the Chiefs game, for example, last week against the Texans. That first quarter, awful, terrible. I was watching and thinking, like, man, the Chiefs are they're they're nervous, dude. They're kind of shook. And I could totally see the Niners going through that in the first half or the first quarter where it's like, whoa, you know, culture shock, it's the playoff game. We're here. This is it. We haven't been here. Holy crap. But, uh, you know, to help relieve those kind of, uh, I guess, those kind of feelings, if you will, Emmanuel Sanders needs to blow up. And I don't mean blow up like eight catches, 200 yards, you know, or 10 catches, whatever it may be. But I'm talking like the kind of game where he's dominating his one-on-one matchup or he's dominating the zone coverage where he's finding holes and he's finding those openings to, you know, just be ready for Jimmy Garoppolo. So Emmanuel Sanders, I think, needs to have that kind of game, you know, if Sanders plays well, he's going to open up Kittle. He's going to open up Debo. And, you know, that's just, that's just what this whole offense is. I mean, big plays up the middle. That's how it is. But whether it's occupied by guys like Sanders or guys like Debo and Kittle, one of them needs to blow up. And I think out of all those guys, all those skilled, talented, and amazing pass catchers, man, I think it's got to be Sanders. Sanders blows up, takes the pressure off of Debo and Kittle. It, it'll be a good day for everyone all around. Okay. I like that, um, especially with the experience like you cited there with Emmanuel Sanders. I I could definitely see your reasoning there. You know, it's funny. I'm going to go to the entire opposite end of the spectrum, and I'm going to go with Debo Samuel. Uh, I'm going to go with Debo, and not because he's a rookie or anything like that, but he's been really, really lighting it up recently, and he's really, really hitting his stride at the perfect moment for the 49ers. Um, last week, he kind of had a, a very, very strong first half. And then when the 49ers went away from the pass game, he, he wasn't really as much involved. 
But man, this guy is physical. He is a physical runner. And sometimes it could play against him. Um, when you saw him fighting for those extra yards and then the ball came out, luckily it was overturned because his knee was down. But, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Um, so I, I think Debo, I, I wouldn't be, not be surprised to see him go off. And I think that when he is getting fed and he's playing well, I think the offense just moves better as a whole. See the Seahawks game in Week 17. Uh, he was balling out there. And, man, th- that offense, that was probably one of the best performances by the entire 49ers offense for the whole season, looking back on it. Um, you could put it up there with New Orleans, um, you know, whatever other couple games you want to throw in there. I think that that Week 17 was just a dominant performance for the most part by the 49ers offense. And I think it was large part to Debo Samuel. So I think he needs to have a big game for the 49ers to do well here. Now, shifting from the receivers, but kind of staying there at the same time, tight end George Kittle, the last time these two teams met, he had six catches for 129 yards, including that, you know, bomb 60-something yard touchdown pass. Um, Do you think that he's in store for another big day when you look at what the Green Bay Packers defense and, you know, how they're set up to defend tight ends? Um, I don't, I, I, I don't think so. And look, here's the reason why, you know, George Kittle is coming off of whatever this, you know, questionable ankle injury is. And I think, I truly believe that if the Niners can get the run game going and they can really just game manage with Jimmy Garoppolo and I mean, hit Sanders up the middle, hit Debo on the slant, hit, hit, uh, you know, <laughs> hit Debo again on the RPO, you know, those kind of things or hit Bourne. I think it'll be an easier day for Kittle. And look, he's the one guy on this whole team you don't want to lose. And we, we know what happened when he hasn't played the last couple of games, you know, four or five weeks ago. It was kind of a mess. So we can't lose Kittle. And and I don't think it's going to be one of those games where he necessarily blows up. I think we will have a good game. I think he'll score a touchdown. But I think when it comes down to it, if the Niners are blowing the Packers out, I, I think we hardly see Kittle on the field. And, and that's okay. And I know it sucks to hear that you don't want to see Kittle play or, you you know, he needs to be off the field. But it's like, dude, I want these guys to be healthy. I want these guys to be good to go, ready to play, absolutely no problems, no questions asked, and just be good to ball out for the Super Bowl, dude. And and it's just, you know, without Kittle, it's a mess. It, it is obviously an absolute mess. So keep him healthy, keep him fresh, keep him in check. And if he wants to play the whole game, if Shanahan's going to do that, sure. You know, I may disagree with it just because I want him to be healthy, but uh, it, it it'll be good. I think it'll be good. I don't th- so <laughs> so overall, I'm getting all excited. I don't think Kittle will have that big game he did last time, and obviously the one big play kind of you know not really skews, but really raises up those box score stats. I do think Kittle will have a solid game. I think he'll have like a four or five catch day, maybe fifty yards, sixty yards, a touchdown, and you know. Just a solid George Kittle day, not not a super blow up day, but just just just, you know, just a cool day, just a cool day for George Kittle. Okay, um, I, I actually disagree with you on this. I think George Kittle is going to be in store for another big day, and just looking at the the Packers linebackers, I don't think that they can cover him. I don't think that guys like Blake Martinez and, and you know that entire just core there can can match up with him for speed. And then on the other hand, I don't think their defensive backs can match up with his physicality. Um, I think he's going to have a big game. And, you know, I don't think he's they're going to overuse him. 
but I would not be surprised if he tops 100 yards. Um, I think more likely he'll probably have like five, six catches, 80 yards, and a touchdown. Um, so I, I, I definitely think that the way this offense matches up with their defense, yeah, I think he's in store for a big day. And, you know, not only that, but he is, for the most part, Jimmy's security blanket. So whenever Jimmy is, you know, being pressured or whatever it may be, he knows that he can throw it to George and George will most likely come down with it. Uh, you know, George and KB, for the most part, KB either makes stunning catches or the most frustrating drops, but that's another story. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think George Kittle matches up well against the Packers defense. And I think that, you know, like I said, I would not be surprised to see him go off again. Um, Anthony, last week against the Vikings, Jimmy Garoppolo, he had a couple questionable at best passes, and then he had the one that was intercepted, which he threw straight to Eric Kendricks. And right after that, we saw Shanahan kind of metaphorically pull him aside and say, hey, look, you're not messing this up for me. And they ran the ball like eight straight times uh, on that scoring drive. Do you think that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be on his shorter leash this week against the Packers? I think... If even if he throws a pick, if the run game isn't necessarily going, or if the run game's going and the Packers offense is playing well, I think how Shanahan is going to let Jimmy Garoppolo loose, dude. You know, we've seen it when when Kittle was out, when Sanders was out, and that whole stretch when the tackles weren't playing and the run game wasn't doing that well. We saw Jimmy Garoppolo blow up. He blew up in the New Orleans game. He I, what in the Carolina game too. Obviously in the second the second Arizona game, Jimmy Garoppolo can blow up. He has all the tangibles and all the ability to absolutely throw up a 400-yard performance. Will he do it this game? I I don't think so. And again, it's all predicated off of if Aaron Rodgers has like that Aaron Rodgers game, you know, vintage game, where Aaron Rodgers is going to throw for 350 yards. Aaron Rodgers is going to throw for four touchdowns and do everything physically possible to keep his team in the game. And if that's the case, we'll see Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll we'll see the real Jimmy G that we've seen in the past. Just chuck it up there and just make some huge plays. He can do it, and he will do it. But is he going to have to have that kind of game? Do I think Shanahan will let him loose? Yeah, I I think we'll see Jimmy Garoppolo pass more, but you know it's so it's so hard to tell Zach. It really is because like if the run game is going and the Packers offense can't get going and the defense is dominant, Jimmy Garoppolo just needs to chill, dude. I'm not gonna lie, Jimmy Garoppolo just needs to go out there, you know, play some Alex Smith football and just just call it a game, dude. Make your money, go out there, chill, get a little sweaty, look good, throw a touchdown, you know. Drop, drop a f- couple of QB sneaks or a couple of kneels to end the game, and, and that's pretty much it, man. That's pretty much it. But if it comes down to it, I think Shanahan will let him loose, dude. I really think it, it has the potential. I'll say that. Not like the Minnesota game where, where I didn't, I didn't even think Jimmy Garoppolo was gonna blow up. This type of game where you don't know what you're gonna see from the Packers, I think we should be ready for Garoppolo to blow up. But if the Packers come out slow and sluggish and fail to move the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo, just chill, bruh. Just chill. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't think he's gonna be on a short leash. Um, but I definitely think that Kyle Shanahan is going to kind of have that in the back of his mind. And I think that if he sees Jimmy struggling, if he sees Jimmy is taking uh unnecessary risks or putting the offense in jeopardy. 
I definitely think he will not hesitate to kind of lean more on the running game or, you know, kind of pull Jimmy aside even and maybe say, hey, man, like, you, you know, you can't you can't have this. You need to make better decisions, blah, 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 coach talk. You know what I'm talking about. But with that being said, I think to come out to start the game, you know, we've seen time after time the 49ers first 15, 20 plays, the scripted plays to start the game, they're lethal. That offense is essentially unstoppable. Just like last week, they went right down the field and scored a touchdown. Um, I would not be surprised to see Coach Shanahan get some some easy uh, guaranteed throws essentially set in place to start the game to build that confidence for Jimmy Garoppolo moving forward throughout the rest of the game. Um, just so he kind of has that base of confidence there and he knows that you know he, he, can, he can make the throws. So... But like I said, if he happens to play a little risky or, you know, makes unnecessary risks, um, I, I would not be surprised to see Kyle Shanahan tell him or lean more on the running game. But to come out and say that he's going to be starting the game, you know, first possession on a short leash. No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, Anthony, what is having a proven veteran? You kind of alluded to this earlier when you said which receiver needed to have the biggest game for the 49ers. What is having a proven veteran like Emmanuel Sanders, two-time Super Bowl champ, in big games like this do for the offense? It prepares the offense. I think it entirely prepares the young kids like Kittle, Debo, Kendrick Bourne. Hope to God if Dante Pettis plays because <laughs> I'm still standing on that island. I I'm dying, bro. I'm getting thirsty, but I'm still standing on the Dante Pettis island. Um, nah, it, it helps immensely. I'm, I'm going to read you some numbers, dude. So... The last two times Emmanuel Sanders was in the playoffs, so in 2014, his, his first year with Denver, I think, the first time they made the playoffs, he only played in one game. He had 15 targets, 7 catches, 46 yards. So Peyton Manning was looking his way. San Sanders, you know, I know I know this was Sanders from five years ago before the injury when he was still really in his prime, but Sanders was getting force-fed targets, dude. Sanders is, he's a ball hawk. He, he can ball. And then the year they won the Super Bowl in three games, Sanders had a very, very solid three games. No touchdowns, but he got 24 targets, 16 catches, 230 yards total. A, he averaged 76 yards a game average almost 10 yards a target so you look at Sanders in the Super Bowl and in that whole run of the playoffs when Denver was on fire with Peyton Manning um Sanders balled out he really balled out and that's including Demarius Thomas too so you look at what Sanders did then this is Sanders four years later first time or second time being in a playoff game this season obviously first time he's been in the playoffs since four years ago Sanders knows what he needs to do. Sanders knows the environment. Just like Richard Sherman. Let's see, who else has been in the playoffs? Oh, yeah, just like D4, too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, these, and obviously Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, these guys know what the environment is like. And obviously, I know Garoppolo didn't play, but he was still there. And obviously, D4, you know, costly uh, offsides, you know, kind of screwed Kansas City there. But, I mean, overall, these guys know. And I think every bit of experience and every bit of knowledge you can possibly have in the playoffs benefits the team immensely. So having that guy like Sanders, having that guy who knows what it's like to play with everything on the line should kind of, I, I think it should help kind of ease any nerves that the offense has, especially the guys who haven't been there. And just let them know that, hey, 
you know, it's hard to think about, but it's another game of football. We've been doing it well all season. We did it well against these guys last time. Let's keep that pace. Let's keep that rhythm. Keep the flow of the offense moving and just dominate the pack, man. They can absolutely dominate this game. But it starts with being confident and having guys like Sanders really makes that job a lot easier. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that it helps prep the younger guys, like you were saying. Uh, guys like KB, guys like Debo, even guys like George, who haven't been in the big games, um, he can kind of go over them and say, hey, you know, it's just like any other Sunday. It's just like any other game, man. You guys have been here before. Um, there's nothing different about this game. I know, you know, mentally you can't help but put the pressure on yourself, but when you have a guy who's been there before, he can, you know, if you look over and you see, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is balling out or he's doing it, hey, I can do it too, you know, that that's my teammate, that's the guy I train with, it, it kind of personalizes it, and, it, you know, it helps you put it into perspective, this is something that we can do, and, you know, also not only that, but if on the flip side, if the moment proves to be too big for any of these guys, he's the one who can step up and say, Jimmy, I got you. Jimmy hit me over the middle. You know, I got you. Don't worry about it. I've been there. I can do it again. I can do it right now. So that, I think it's huge. I think it's huge for the 49ers offense, especially considering if they don't make that trade, they don't have any veteran other than, you know, what Marquise Goodwin would be the oldest guy in the receiving room. Um, And, you know, he hasn't really been a threat since the first couple of weeks of the season. So I think that that trade proved to be huge for the 49ers. You could argue it was the best trade of the year. I think we've been saying that for a couple episodes now. But it, it just keeps getting better and better. Their return on investment just keeps getting, you know, sweeter and sweeter. You know, and you could say the same thing on the flip side for Richard Sherman and the DBs. You know, having a guy who's been there before, having a guy who's proven, having a guy who's, you know, been to the big game and balled out, it means a lot. It means a lot to this team it means a lot to the offense because they know it can be done and they know that they can go to him if they have any questions if they need any help whatever it may be there's a guy there that they can go to um anthony all week we've been hearing um you know the 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 revenge game by matt lafleur's packers what does um you know what does kind of the the relationship between these two kyle shanahan and matt lafleur how does that affect this game? Does Do you think one coach more so has the advantage when you take into consideration how, how familiar they are with each other? Yeah, I do. And I think that advantage played into the hands of Kyle Shanahan and the Niners last time. And I fully believe it'll play into their hands this time. Look, Matt LaFleur is inexperienced. I don't think he fully knows. Obviously, it's his first coaching season, so I'll give him a little, or first head coaching season, so I'll give him a little break. But I don't think he fully grasps grasps and understands how to how to really work with Aaron Rodgers yet. I think it's still something that needs to be worked on that chemistry between the two. So I gotta give it to Shanahan one hundred percent, dude. I mean, he took the Atlanta Falcons' offense to a historic level, and they balled out in the playoffs. And you know, obviously, he uh, he kind of choked that that 28 to 3 lead not everyone blames on blames shanahan but the point being is that they should have ran the ball more to just at least kill that clock some but i digress dude shanahan has all the advantages in this game adam lefko called kyle shanahan the human computer like he literally called him like a computer machine dude he just 
he processes and he diagnoses. And I, I think this dude is like a fortune teller, man. I think Kyle Shanahan can tell you, I think he could tell you what play he's going to run with the certain score in the certain situation at the certain time of the game, no matter what it is. Like for, like for example, if it was like 17 to 10 in the third quarter with three minutes left, say Kyle Shanahan's going to be like, all right, I'm, you know, I need to get this clock down and call outside zone run right off the tackle. Like, okay. But if it's like same time, third quarter, three minutes left, but it's say 10 to 17 Packers, it's like, okay, I know I'm going to call bootleg to the right, George Kittle, wheel wheel out, Kyle Juszczyk, fake, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's that kind of thing that just separates Kyle Shanahan from the rest of the entire league, dude. And, you know, I have some pretty bold takes at the end of this. You know, once once the dust is settled, I have a pretty cool take on the Niners, but I'll save that for later. But, I mean, hell, dude, Kyle Shanahan dominates his coaching matchup just like Robert Sala dominates his coaching matchup. And Shanahan knows Pedden's defense. Shanahan was offensive play caller under Mike Pedden when they were in Cleveland together. And I think Shanahan just has Pedden's number entirely, dude. And I don't think any of that will change at all. Yeah, that's another kind of uh, relationship to keep an eye on. Kyle Shanahan, Mike Pedden, we don't really know how how their relationship kind of is now that they aren't on the same coaching staff anymore. It kind of seemed from reports coming out of Cleveland when they were there that they kind of butted heads. So it'd be interesting to see. Um, you know, we've seen Kyle, like when we went back to Washington this year, he can, I don't want to say hold a grudge, but it's definitely in the back of his mind when he feels slighted against somebody and, you know, he may go out a little extra against them. So I think that that's going to be another, you know, factor to take into consideration with how Kyle coaches this game. And I definitely agree that I think he has the edge against LaFleur. And um, to be honest with you, I think he's the better coach just in general, not necessarily just because LaFleur is inexperienced. Um, I think Kyle Shanahan, there aren't many people built like him at all. Um, and I think that he's going to be a hell of a coach for years to come. And to compare anybody to him is kind of, uh, it's, you know, it's not fair to the person that's being compared. Um, so I, I think that especially because of inexperience, it's just not LaFleur's time to have uh, the upper hand against Kyle Shanahan. But, you know, that could just me be being biased. But I'm trying to look at this as object- objectively as possible. And, um, you know, that part of my brain is kind of telling me I don't see it with LaFleur yet. Maybe soon. The only bad side, the only, excuse me, bad thing with LaFleur being so inexperienced as far as head coaching uh, position is that Aaron Rodgers isn't getting any younger. So that, you know, the Green Bay Packers, their window, it needs to, it's it's slowly closing and they need to strike now. And that's honestly why I think that they could be a really, really dangerous team on Sunday because I think LaFleur knows that this may be the closest the Packers get to another Super Bowl for a long time, uh, you know, for, you know, for a while. So I think that the 49ers need to make sure that they get out to an early lead and just keep their foot on the throats the entire game. Um, Anthony, how much of a factor will Levi Stadium be? Do you think that the fans can finally really give the 49ers home field advantage like it was at Candlestick? Yeah, I think so. And obviously you don't really hear it 
when you're watching on TV, but when we were watching, it really sounded like Levi's was loud. And I mean, loud, loud. And we were at the Car- or I was at the Carolina game. We were at the Pittsburgh game. It was loud, dude. And I know that was the home opener, but you know, different vibe. Totally different vibe when it comes to the playoffs. And I think these fans know that everything matters. We need to be quiet on offense. We need to be loud on defense. We need to be chanting and taunting and getting in these guys' heads, whether we think they can hear us or not. But I mean, hell, they hear us as a collective, dude. But hey, it's got to be loud. It's really got to be loud for that Packers' offense. I don't want Aaron Rodgers to hear those call-outs. I don't want Aaron Rodgers to hear them audibles at all. You know, I don't want that entire offense to hear anything, dude. If Levi's is rocking and bumping, it can be a really intimidating place. And I think we saw that the first time they played Seattle. Um, Who else did they play? Obviously, the last time they played the Packers. And hell, even when we played the Falcons and obviously Minnesota last week, Levi's was bumping. And I don't think that's going to change at all. Levi's needs to be loud. Levi's needs to be rocking. Let the Niners keep momentum the whole game. And I honestly think it starts with a good, loud fan base. And just keeping these guys enthused. Keeping these guys on their toes, man. We got we got to beat their asses just as much as they got to beat the Packers' asses, dude. We, we got to keep them on edge. Like, yo, Jimmy. Yo, George. Ball out. Be ready, dude. We're watching. We're cheering. Give us one hell of a show because we're right by your guys' sides, dude. It's going to be a hell of a game. Okay. I love it. Um, I definitely – I think that Levi's is already becoming that. I think that, you know, against the Vikings, man, just like you said, we went there, but I felt like my TV was vibrating. I could hear the stadium. It was it was energetic, and, you know, it, it's awesome. And even in the post-game press conferences, the 49ers players were coming out saying that the 49ers fans showed out and that they really, really helped give them that edge on the field. And, you know, you can tell when the team feeds off of it. You know, for example, even when when Bosa got, it looked like he got the wind knocked out of him when he got smashed in between uh, Kirk Cousins and D Ford, I believe. And he was down for a bit. And then the crowd starts chanting, Bosa, Bosa. And then, you know, he just shoots up like the Undertaker. And, man, he's throwing his arms oh, up. I, I <laughs> was ahead. so hyped, dude. I was so hyped. Oh, my God. When I heard that on the TV, I was like, I was like, why am I crying in the club? That was intense. I was like, holy, <laughs> holy shit. They're, they're cheering on Bosa, dude. <laughs> yeah, it, it was great to see. But, uh, I, 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 like I said, I think Levi's is already becoming a home field advantage for the 49ers. And I think it started a while back, honestly. Um, we went to the home opener this year against the Steelers, and we were there, man. We came back and we said, yo, that stadium was was lit up. That stadium was, was you know, popping. It was loud. It was vibrating. Everybody was on their feet. Everybody was waving their rally towels. Everybody was loud. Um, and I think that it started then, and it's just gotten progressively better. And I think 49ers fans... Um, you know, I don't want to call them out for being uneducated in football by any means because that's not the case. But I think that with any team, with success comes, you get a lot of new new fans come in and whatnot. They don't understand that you need to be quiet when your offense is on the field. So if anybody's listening to this that's going to the game on Sunday, you don't make a noise when Jimmy Garoppolo is out there, when the 49ers offense is out there because they need that to be completely quiet. John Lynch tweeted it today, and I just... To be honest with you, I think it's kind of funny that people need to be reminded that. But I think that, to, to go back to the original question, yes, it is becoming a home field advantage for the 49ers. And I know Anthony and I, for damn sure, are going to do our best 
to make it that so uh, excuse me make it that on Sunday. Anthony, do you have any final thoughts here before we move into our standard shoutouts? It was just really interesting to me listening to the podcast earlier about how bad the Packers are defending play action. And look, you know, these analytics guys are like unreal. They do their job so well. That was courtesy of Warren Sharp, by the way. And, you know, I love Warren Sharp. He provides a lot of good analytical information and he works with NFL teams on this kind of stuff. But I mean, you know, it's those kind of things that teams like the Niners and the Packers look at and they go, how can we prevent this? And then it's Niners. How can we exploit this? And it's things like that when you get to the playoffs where every little bit of information that you think the Packers suck at, that you think the Niners are good at, vice versa, matters entirely, dude, because this is it. You lose. There's no going back. You lose and you're, you're home. That's it. You win. You're off to the Super Bowl, dude. This is This is it. So you listen, you look at those kind of analytics, you look at everything that's going on, every every nerdy bit of information that anyone thinks is nerdy, especially when it comes to this, especially when it comes to the teams who are like, nah, I just want to go out there and, and draft my guys and old school football and blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, it's almost not the case anymore. It's all new, you know, new technology, new information. And obviously Kyle Shanahan plays old school football. His style is old school. But understanding the analytics, understanding what goes into the game, it's all what dominates today, dude. It's all what dominates today's game. And being able to, again, dominate that aspect is what's going to make or break one of these teams winning or losing on top of how well they play. And I think the Niners are going to be, you know, I think they're going to be it, dude. I think they have the Packers' hand. I think everything plays into their favor. And... And just trust the process, bro. Trust the process. Beat the hell out of the Packers. Call it a day and get ready for Miami. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, I agree with you there. I think that on paper, they're definitely the better team. Um, They just got to go out there and do their jobs. Simple as that. Go out there, do your jobs, win your reps. And, you know, next thing you know, you'll have a, a week by and a trip to the Super Bowl. So that's just something to keep in mind. Moving on to our standard shout-outs. Uh, my first one is a tweet via Chris Wessling, and he tweeted out, I understand why Kyle Shanahan insists previous games never matter, and the 49ers Week 12 blowout is Packers immaterial, but teams losing by 20 or more points in the regular season and meeting the victor again in the postseason has lost 13 straight games. That's something to keep an eye on. And for my second standard shout-out, let me pull it up here. Um, the 49ers are currently looking to win their second home playoff game for the fifth time in history. And get this, Anthony. On the previous four occasions, the 49ers have won two home playoff games. They've gone on to win the Super Bowl each of those four times. That's wild. You know, you know. speaking of analytics and stats, it's like this kind of history stuff is like, oh my God, it goes back and back. And you can just tie everything in and all together. But um, wild, you know, you know, it's it's just absolutely wild. So, so that was a good shout out, dude. So all I'm really gonna shout out, dude, I'm gonna shout out the running backs. I think you know before we do our predictions and player predictions and stuff, I think this is going to be a solid running game for the Niners. I really do. I think Garoppolo should be able to game manage. I think he'll throw more than last time, and obviously last week. But I think it'll still be a solid, easy game for them. Um. This is the case on defense for the Packers. According to their DVOA ranking uh, via Football Outsiders, 
The Packers' rush defense, 23rd in the league. The Niners' rush offense, according to Football Outsiders, 13th. Now, I, I you know, 13 seems weird, but obviously it's because the Niners haven't run the ball well the past, you know, the past four or five weeks, up until Minnesota, really. Um, it, it's one of those things where I think the Niners are going to exploit the weak Packers' run defense entirely, and then on the other side of the ball, the Niners, or the Packers' pass defense via Football Outsiders, their ranking is 10th, the Niners is 8th. So... The Packers defend the pass way better than they defend the run, and I really think that Shanahan should be able to have a field day going up against this, uh, I guess, exposable exposable run defense, if you will. And shout-out to the running backs, man. I know Matt Breida's been struggling, but Matt Breida can still break one off at any time. Tevin Coleman's been solid. Raheem Mostert's been solid. All three of those guys, I think, are going to have the chance to really explode, and if it's the time to do it, it's the time to do it now, man. So shout out to the running backs. I think they're ready to ball out. All right. Um, also, I know we said uh, just a couple each, but I just want to throw one last one in there. Um, I thought this was a pretty cool, just little tidbit. Um, the last time the 49ers were in the Super Bowl, there was a Shanahan calling plays, and the Super Bowl was in Miami. Of course, I'm sure you all know, there was a Shanahan calling plays, and the Super Bowl is now in Miami. So just something to keep in mind. History has a funny way of tying things back together. Um, and you know, let's hope that it, it, it does come full circle this year, but that's just going to about do it for us guys. Oh, also quick, last quick shout out, shout out to Nick Clark of the 49ers for getting Anthony and I into this game. It is truly a dream come true. We couldn't imagine actually being there. Um, but you know, just wanted to get that out there. Really appreciate that. Um, Anthony, last thing we got to do here before we go. Of course, final score, and you know how we do it here at RGS. We pick one player and predict their stats. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to go? Go for it, man. I want to hear what you're going to say. Uh, all right. Let's see. Well, since I picked uh, my guy Debo earlier in the, in the episode, I'm going to go with Debo. I'm going to pick Debo, and I think he's going to have about seven catches for 115 yards and a touchdown. And I think he's going to help this well-oiled 49ers offense uh, get on their way to a victory. And in my granted, in my mind, um, last week, I know, I don't, I don't remember if we got an episode out before the Vikings game, but I kept saying on Twitter, 27 to 13, 27 to 13, it was 27 to 10. In my mind this week, I keep seeing 31-17. I think the 49ers win. I think they pull away in the second half, just like they did the first time these two teams played. Um, I think it'll probably be relatively close the first half. But like you said, Green Bay is just a bad team after halftime. I think the 49ers take advantage. I think they keep their their uh, foot on the Packers' throat. And I think they eventually punch their ticket to the Super Bowl with a 31-17 win. I like it. I like it a lot. Debo definitely has a chance to expose Kevin King. I would likely imagine that they'll shadow Emmanuel Sanders with Jair Alexander. You know, if Debo blows up, Jair might be on Debo's side. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I definitely think Debo can have that kind of game. So, the 30s. The 30s in my head has really been standing out for the Niners as offense and obviously the scoring defense and special teams. I think the Niners can put up 30-plus on these guys. I really I really think so. So, I've been saying it in my mind, like, where, what 30 can I think of? What 30 feels like it makes sense? 
So I think the Niners are going to get four total touchdowns via offense or defense combined, and a couple field goals. I think the Niners are going to get 35 points. As for the Packers, I think they'll try and push the ball in the first half. I think they'll slow down in the second half entirely, and I think it's just going to be a ball game from there, dude. I'm thinking Niners 35, Packers 17. And as for the MVP, shoot, dude. I you know, I think... I think I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball. I think I'm going to go with Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa took Bakhtiari's lunch money last time. Bulaga is going to play. Nick Bosa is going to take Bulaga's lunch money, who's ever he's lined up over. Dude, I think Nick Bosa is going to have two sacks. Two and a half. Okay, I'm going to go two and a half sacks. Bosa's going to have two and a half sacks. I think he's going to have a forced fumble. I think he's going to have a bunch of TFLs. I think he's going to have a pass breakup. It's going to be the Nick Bosa game, dude. And a lot of that is credited to DeForest Buckner, D. Ford, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas. Those guys just getting the job done. So MVP of the game, bro. Nick Bosa, two and a half sacks, a pass deflection, a forced fumble, and just, just a Nick Bosa game, dude. I think Nick Bosa can really ball the hell out tonight or Sunday night. <laughs> All right. It would not surprise me at all. It sounds similar to his stats uh, last last week against the Vikings. So it, that would be you know great for the 49ers. We've been saying all episode the defense needs to get home on Aaron Rodgers. So man, you know that that would be a good score too, a nice comfortable score. Nobody would have to worry about having a heart attack at the last second. Uh, let's hope it happens, man. Thank you guys again for tuning into another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Uh, if you're listening on I- Apple iTunes. Please do us a solid and go and give us a review. Uh, we check out all of the reviews. We really appreciate them. Um, my name is Zach Hernandez. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. You can follow the podcast at RGS Pod. Anthony, let the folks know one more time where to find you. All right, guys. As is my formality, Perry underscore 49ers. It's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49ERS. Great episode tonight, Zach. I'm so excited, dude. We're going to the game on Sunday. Got to be there early. Get ready to scream our asses off. My first ever playoff game I get to go to for any sport. And it's it's Levi's going to be loud, dude. It's going to be loud, but shit, we got to be louder. <laughs> yeah, dude. So I, you know, I already told my work I will not have a voice next week when I come in. Uh, so they're going to have to deal with that. But all right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully we catch up with you guys uh, when the 49ers are 15-3 and and on their way to Miami for the big game.